All right, this morning we want to continue to talk about First Peter. Now, we've taken a few weeks off because of the Easter holidays and stuff, such, but I want to um, jump back into First Peter in chapter 4. And, um, but remember who Peter is. As we introduce the study for today, let's remember who Peter is and the disciple that he was. Today, I want to talk about living in our true identity. Who truly are we? In Christ. If I am a believer in Jesus Christ, who am I? Well, Peter was that disciple that when Jesus asked, Who do people say that I am? All the other disciples said, Well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Moses, some say you're another prophet, some say this, some, some say you're John the Baptist, some say whatever. But Peter declared the true identity of who Jesus was. That's the man that was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the books of First and Second Peter. Jesus declared to Peter, well, at that time his name was Simon. He said, at that time, Simon, now you will be called Peter, meaning Little Stone. Now, that may be a strange name to call somebody Little Stone. But what he was indicating was that, Peter, you're a little stone out of the same rock that I am, which I'm going to build my church upon, and you're going to be part of the building process. Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 15, it tells us the story how this came about. Then Jesus asked them, who do you think I am? Simon Peter answered, let me back this up. He had already asked the other disciples, and the other disciples gave them other people what other people thought. But Jesus says, no, who do you think I am? Emphasize the word you. Who do you think that I am? And Simon Peter answered, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Do you hear the revelation knowledge in that? The Son of the living God, the Christ, the Messiah. And God Jesus said, God has blessed you, Simon, son of Jonah. Jesus said, for my Father in heaven has personally revealed this to you. That's revelation knowledge. This is not from any human source. You are Peter, a stone. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's recognize what this passage is saying here. He says, Upon, Jesus says, you are, Peter, a stone upon this rock. What rock is he talking about? He's not talking about the stone of who Peter is. He's not saying, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. No, what he's saying is, I am the rock. Jesus was referred to the rock numerous places in the Old Testament. When, remember when Moses struck the rock and water came out of it? That was symbolic of Christ being the rock. Christ is the rock. Peter is a stone. A little stone cut out of the same character of the rock of who Jesus is. And upon the rock of Christ, Jesus will build his church. Why is this important that we recognize this? Because Peter is typical. He is typical of you and I today of any New Testament believer who truly believes in Jesus, who truly confesses Jesus Christ as their Messiah, that truly confesses Jesus as their Savior. 
that truly confesses Jesus as the Son of the living God. I'm not talking about that professes it. I know about Jesus. I know about him. No, I'm, this is talking about the Christian person today that truly is a follower of Jesus Christ, truly says, you're my Messiah, you're my Savior, and now I'm making you my Lord. We then become a little stone, just like Peter was, a cut out of the same rock of who character, the character of Christ is so that then we are building materials that Christ uses to build his church. We need to know this. We need to know that, that how important it is that we have that confidence to know who our, what our identity is and who we are in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, we already studied this a few weeks ago. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, talks about us being living stones, just like Peter. Peter says, Come to Christ, who is the living foundation of rock. Did you hear that? Come to Christ, who is the living foundation of rock, which God builds. Though men have spurned him, he is very precious to God, who has chosen him above all others. Jesus is the rock. And now, verse 5, and now you have become living building stones for God's use in building his house. What's more, who else are you? What's more, you are his holy priests. So come to him, you who are acceptable to him because of Jesus Christ. And offer to God those things that please him. Our identity is that we are a little stone, a, a, a part of the building of his church, and we are also priests. And we are to carry out the things that we are to do to be pleasing in the sight of God so that we can be proper building materials for his church. That's who we are. That's the revelation knowledge that we are stones in the church of God. In the rock, we are part of that. And it's only when we truly understand that source of who we are that we really can be effective in the world. So let me just take a minute and ask the question. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Do you want to know who you are? Or are, you, or are we comfortable just coming in and taking a place, doing something sitting in a pew, sitting in a chair, taking up valuable space, and then going out in the world and being a nobody. I don't think so. Th that's not what we're called to be. And I don't think most of us want to be that. Now, I'm sure there's a few that do. I'm sure there are. But I think the majority of us, I think those here, the reason you're here this morning is because you want to know who you are, and this is the place to be because that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's jump back into our study here. Let's get back into the context of where we're at in 1 Peter chapter 4 and find out who we are and what we should be doing as part of our identity in Christ. So 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 7, going through verse 11. Peter says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to, share, to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. 
Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that we would begin to understand our true identity in you. That we would recognize that you love us, you've chosen us, we've received, we've chosen you back, and now we are in the family of God. And that we are true heirs, co-heirs with Christ. And I pray, Father, that as we identify or discover our identity, that it empowers us to do things beyond our imagination, beyond our capabilities, because of who you are, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, it seems kind of strange, isn't it, that right in the middle of a chapter, verse 7, all of a sudden, Peter just says something. The end of all things is near. Doesn't that seem a little out of context? Doesn't it seem a little strange that for all of a sudden for him to say that? Yeah, really. How can he say that? I mean, why would he say that? See, when we read scriptures like that that were written thousands of years ago, and clearly the end of the world wasn't near because we're still in the world, does that create some confusion possibly? Could you see why people would read the Bible and say, that's eh, not really for today because look what he said. He said the end of all things is near and we're still here, so obviously he doesn't know what he's talking about. Why does the Bible say such bold things sometimes that wouldn't have any seemingly relevance into our world today? Well, let's ask the question that possibly the Holy Spirit is waiting for us to ask or ask us, actually. And here's the question. Do you know exactly how long you're going to live? Do you know how many days you have left? You see, I think for that reason right there, knowing that our days are numbered, <laughs> and I'm not sure where I'm at in that numbering scale, I think I could honestly say, agree with Peter, that the end of all things is near because tomorrow may be my last day, and I don't know it. And you don't know it. I mean, the rapture could happen tomorrow too. So we don't know when that's going to happen either. So I think the skeptics of God's word are coming to us and they're coming to say things like, how can you say something like that when clearly he didn't know what he was talking about? But the reality is Peter's not here anymore, is he? Huh? So Peter was at the end of his days. And so the Bible is not saying anything that's not true here. It's just very true. It's just that we have to understand and believe the context of how it's being said. So when I ask the question and when I realize that my days are numbered and I don't really know how many days are, I have left, I'm not asking that because I'm trying to make you afraid or trying to uh, have bring fear into your life. That's not the point at all. What Peter is saying and what I'm trying to emphasize here is that the future, whether it's our death or the rapture of the church, is going to happen. The fact is, you will live to see the rapture. I don't know if it's the personal your personal rapture or the corporate rapture, but you will live to see your death. <laughs> My dad would say, if you live long enough, you're going to die. Okay. So, truly, I'm living in the last days. And, I, and here's my, 
here's my perception of that, and this is, I believe, what we need to take away as we begin and continue the study, that we need to look at it and say that I, I need to know that I need to live in these last days with an anticipation and an expectation of hope and joy and peace because it's a good thing to live in the end days. It's a blessed thing to live in the end days. So what does this really mean? Well, as we realize that our days really are numbered and we have no idea of that, what that final number is, that the only wise way to live is with the expectation that this might be my last day. Yeah. That doesn't mean I go sell my house. It doesn't mean that I give away all my belongings. It doesn't mean I do anything silly or stupid. I'm not, well, we're, not, we're not told to do that. There's nothing in Scripture that says for us to do something like that. It just says that whatever we do have, we hold on to it loosely. That we don't put our hope and our, our trust and our source of strength in what we have here. But we, we look at that. We plan for tomorrow like we're going to live forever here. But yet we live in expectation that it could be my last day here. And when I can have that expectation that way, you know, it really frees me not to worry so much about what I have or what I don't have. I don't have to get worried about it nearly as much because I know that whatever is here is temporary. I am living in the end of my days. This should excite us. We should see each day as being so valuable that we can't afford to waste it. I don't know if I have how many days I have left. If I knew I had 10 days left, I would tell you, I would make very, those 10 days very productive. I would make sure that I took care of all loose ends. I would make sure that my kids know that I love them and why I love them. I would make sure that they know about Jesus. I would make sure that all my household orders are taken care of. If I knew I had 10 days left, I wouldn't waste one. So why do I waste them now when I don't know? Because I do waste some, do you? Yeah. I want to go, I want, I, I, I pray. And, and, you know, I'm just like you. I, I'm, I'm just as imperfect as any other person here. But I really pray that when my day goes into heaven, I go in exhausted. I, I pray that when I finally get there, I'm so glad to be there because I'm just exhausted because I've been working so hard in the kingdom of God that I can hardly, it's like I fall over the finish line. You know, I, I don't want to get there with all the energy left. To say, man, God, I, I, I could have done so much more. <laughs> I want to go there. I want to be able to use my days wisely here so that I can go and I can be sure that I'm going to hear the Father say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And the way he says that is because I've been faithful and good here. And I've been a faithful servant here. So Peter goes on then to describe the kind of person we're to be with that revelation knowledge that we really are living in the end days. He says, therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Be alert and of sober mind. Let's talk about what, a, what is it? Talk about a person who's alert and of sober mind or self-controlled, as some translations say. What does it mean to be alert? What does it mean to be alert? Well, according to the dictionary, it means to be vigilantly attentive, watchful, alert to danger. You know, we could take a lot of lessons by nature about what it means to be alert. You ever watched a deer eat or just be in the field someplace man they are always alert their ears are always moving around little radar things man always looking hearing looking uh, they're always listening for noises their noses are always twitching 
trying to pick up a scent that they don't recognize what it is. Now, understand, they're not panicking. They're not living in a state of panic. They're living in a state of alertness. Always wanting to know, am I safe? Can I put my head down now and eat a little bit? And as soon as they start to eat a little bit, and if something, if a twig breaks or uh, the wind blows a little different direction and it brings a different scent along their way, they immediately pick up their head and look around again. You know, we, we can learn a lot about that because we as Christians, sometimes we live in a state of slappiness, in a state of, I don't need to worry about anything because I live by grace. I'm saved by grace. Therefore, I can live any way I want. I have to be alert. No, do you recognize that's exactly what the devil wants you to feel like? He wants you to get sleepy. He wants you to get sleepy at the wheel and doze off a little bit here and there with your Christian life. And not be alert to all the dangers because when you're not alert to the dangers, he's right there to throw a trap over you. We need to learn from, the, we need to learn from nature how to live alert how to be sensitive and how to be aware of the things around us. Always watchful. Synonyms for alert means to be attentive, watchful, prepared, aware, observant, ready, vigilant. Always, on the, always looking, always being aware of my surroundings. The antonym or the opposite of alert means to be unprepared. Now, I don't want to be unprepared when the, when the Lord returns. I don't want to be that unprepared, unprepared servant. I don't want to be that unprepared person that when Jesus knocks on the door of heaven and he says, hey, I'm coming back, guys, or he says, ah, last breath for you. I don't want to go unprepared. I want to be alert. An alert person is always prepared for whatever's coming next. He's paying attention to what's going on around him. And he's not easily deceived by an enemy that is looking to throw a trap. And then he says we should be sober-minded, Alert and sober-minded. What's a sober-minded person? What does sober-minded mean? Sober-minded means not to be intoxicated or affected by the use of mind-altering elements. Hmm. To be sober-minded is very obvious instruction to think with clear thought. A clear thought process so that our mind is aware of the things around us with clarity, not numbed by the senses of this world, not numbed by the pleasures of this world not numbed by the things that we have to um, self-medicate ourselves with sometimes to get through the hard things of life. We're to see the reality of what we're doing. We're to be in clear, a clear-minded state of preparedness for the likeliness that we may be in our last moments. And when we come to those last moments, we want to make sure that we're alert and self-controlled or sober-minded. Now, is Peter saying these things to bring fear in our lives? and to paralyze us, because sometimes we can be so fearful that we're paralyzed. Uh, I will tell you right now, that's not his point. That's not what he's trying to do, and that's clearly not what I'm trying to do, is to, is to, is to scare you into heaven, or scare you out of hell. That's not the point at all. But the point is that we can make sure that we realize the sincerity of where we're at. Let's read this sentence again. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you can do what? so that you can pray. Now, this is huge. We're to be alert and sober-minded so that we can pray. This is a huge point of truly what it means to be a follower of Christ. To truly have our true identity understood, we must know what it means to pray. A true believer in Jesus Christ 
is a praying person. A person with a commitment to pray at all times and in all situations, regardless of what you feel about it. Now, maybe we should talk about what prayer is a little bit. If I'm going to be cut out of the same rock of Jesus Christ, the same rock that Peter was cut, up to, cut out of to be the little stone, that I must be that kind of a person that they were. Jesus was a praying person. Read the scriptures. How many times do you see Jesus up early at, in the morning or up late at night or up off by himself up in the mountains to pray by himself? He was very vigilant in praying. And you would say, well, he's, why, why would Jesus need to pray really? Because, you know, I mean, he's God. Well, but he was fully human too. And the only way he got to know God at a human perspective is to do the same thing that we're instructed to do and that is pray. Prayer is communication. Maybe, we, maybe that word prayer is the thing that kind of throws us off because we have our own context or pretext of what prayer is. Prayer to some people is boring. And it's reciting some scriptures or reciting some pre-made prayer that somebody wrote. Or it's something I do to make me fall asleep. <laughs> or something that I do only when times are really bad. But I think when we can really understand what prayer is, we can really have a better perspective and, and a better uh, attention span and we can really give it more value. A person that is professing to be a Christ-centered person, just to show the, the urgency of it, is a person that must pray. And we must understand the significance. And I know that that's a pretty bold statement to make, that a person truly that knows their identity in Christ is a praying person. I know that's a pretty bold statement to make, but it's not only bold, it's also biblical. Um, your Bible says a lot about prayer. Let's read a number of verses just to make sure that we're clear. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. We all know these three verses. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8. So I want men everywhere to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from sin and anger and resentment. Are you catching the drift? James chapter 5. Verses 13 through 16. Is anyone among you suffering? He should keep on praying about it. And those who have reason to be thankful should continually be singing praises to the Lord. Is anyone sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they should pray over him and pour a little oil upon him, calling on the Lord to heal him. And their prayer, if offered in faith, will heal him. For the Lord will make him well. And if his sickness was caused by some sin, the Lord will forgive him. Admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest or the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much or has great power and wonderful results. We're instructed in God's word, throughout God's word, to be people of prayer, people of communication with God at all times and all situations. 
A commentary discusses, says this about, about a praying person. It says, There can be no effective spiritual power in our battle against sin, Satan, and the evil world, nor will we have victory in our efforts to reach people for Christ, nor will we have a consistent pattern of spiritual victory in our own lives, personally, without a consistent daily prayer life. Think about that for a minute. Let's just think about for what does it mean to have a prayer life on a daily basis? The only way that I can speak on behalf of another person and carry their authority is if I know the person. I can't speak on behalf of President Trump. I don't care how much authority he has, I can't speak on behalf of him because I don't know him. But if I had relationship with President Trump, if he and I were acquaintances, if, he, if, if I was one of his trusted advisors, if I spent time communicating to him on a regular basis, if he, if he and I had, had, had regular contact either through written documentation or, or firsthand knowledge, if I know him and he knows me, then he can give me authority to work and act on his behalf. And what I say then has the authority of the President of the United States because I know him. But if I don't know him, if I just know about him, I have no authority in that way. Well, that's the same thing with God. It's the same thing when I try to take dominion over the enemy. If I don't have relationship with Jesus through his shed blood and a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, then when I speak to the enemy, he says, who are you? Who are you? Why should I listen to you? We, we saw an example in God's word where some disciples tried to cast out a demon and the demon jumped out of the guy and they beat up the disciples. And he said, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? I don't know you. I know Jesus, but I don't, I don't know who you are. See, until I know Christ, until I have that relationship with Jesus on a, on a firsthand basis, and I only get that through prayer. I only get that when I know that I can go to him and he and I can have communication and we can have that relationship. Now I have his authority in me. And I know that many people see prayer as a duty or an obligation to be, to be done in order to get God's attention. Some people look at prayer as a, as a, as a stumbling block or use a prayer as a, a gatekeeper that um, God's not going to be pleased with me or I have to pray, I have to do this, I have to pray a certain way or I have to pray certain words or I have to do this or that before I can get in to see fa the Father. He is our Heavenly Father and the, and the thing that He desires most, can I tell you the thing He desires most is a relationship with you and I. Did you hear me? The thing He desires most is a relationship with you and me. He just wants me to call Him Daddy. He wants me to call him Father. He wants you to look up and say, Hey, Daddy, Father, what are you doing today? What's going on today? What's going on in your world? What do you want me to do today? See, he wants that relationship. He wants that ability where we can have, have casualness yet fear, where we can be comfortable in his presence yet fearful of his awesome power. That we can, have, we can strike that balance of, of being respectful for him and, and honoring him with holiness and, and, and truth and, and, and honesty and integrity but yet having the ability to have comfort to say, hey, God, Father, I've got a really bad problem right now. I'm really hurting. Can you help me today? 
can you, pull, can you pull me out of this one? And he said, yeah, I will. So that's the relationship. And see, when I can, when I can see prayer as that relationship builder, not a hurdle I need to jump over or not a, a fee I have to pay to get the guy's attention, that I will m- be much more likely to make it a part of my daily life. It helps me build relationship when I pray. When I go to him on a regular basis, it helps me build relationship with Jesus. That's what prayer is all about. It's very simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. When I see the proper context of it, I go back and read that sentence one more time. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Let's look at the context a little bit more about that. See, when I see the context of being alert and sober-minded so that I can pray, it tells me that being alert and of sober-mindedness is pretty important so that I can pray. In other words, if I'm sloppy, if I don't have self-control in my life, let me just ask the question. If you have sin in your life, if you've had a time of sin in your life, how easy was it for you to go pray? It's hard to pray when you have sin in your life. I know it. That's when the, that's when the ceiling is like brass. That's like... When you speak, it doesn't go any higher than the ceiling, and you're just like, nobody's listening to me up there anyways. Where are you, God? It's not that God's not hearing. God hears everything you say. But we need to be in a position of being alert and of self-controlled mind so that we put our position into a place of blessing and not a place of curse. I know this is we have to be really careful here because it could sound like we're now we're getting into an area of works. I'm telling you that God's blessings are very conditional upon us being alert and sober-minded. His salvation comes through His grace. We're saved through grace, not by my alertness. We're saved through grace, not by my sober-mindedness. But once I'm saved, now I have a responsibility to stay alert and sober-minded so that I can pray. Does that make sense? Do you have to see, see the context of what he's saying here? So many times that we get ourselves into trouble because we're not self-controlled or because we're not sober-minded. We've taken ourselves out of relationship with the Father. Did you hear me? We've taken ourselves out of the relationship. He hasn't removed himself. We've taken ourselves out because we've stopped being alert or we've stopped being sober-minded. We've started to take the pleasures of the world or whatever other issues they are, and we've taken ourselves out of that relationship with God, and we get ourselves over here where now he's saying, guys, I really can't bless you like I want to because you've taken yourself out of the relationship. So we need to get ourselves back into it. And how do we get ourselves back into it? By repenting saying, Jesus, I'm sorry, I've sinned, I've let you down, I've failed, I've done it. Would you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. And you go, we go back under relationships, so now I can pray again. You know, i got to tell you, I've learned so much by, learned by being a bus driver. Kids, are, they are just like, I've learned so much. And let me tell you, this little lesson I learned. I had a situation the other day where one of my second graders, they're the worst, was jumping around, and he is, I, I really can, I've almost given up on him because he will not listen. 
jumps around, jumps seat to seat, running around, screaming, making all kinds of ruckus. And I've just, you know, I, I talk to him every day, and it's just really, really bad. Well, here's what happens. We're at the elementary school. The kids are just getting in the bus. The bus even has, hasn't even left yet. And all of a sudden, I look back, and i got two kids crying. He's one of them, and the girl right behind them. They're both crying. I said, what happened? Well, this little boy was jumping around, doing what he's not supposed to do, and he jumped up out of his seat, looking backwards, just as the little girl leaned over the seat to see what he was doing, and his mouth hit her right in the head, and now she's got a big welt in the top of her forehead, and his tooth is loose, and he's screaming. They're both crying. And not, not only that, but he's screaming and howling at her because she knocked his tooth out. And I said, I've got to use his name because it's just Daxton. <laughs> She didn't do it. You did it. Her, her head didn't knock your tooth out. If you would have been sitting in the seat like you're supposed to, you never would have hit her in the head, and therefore your tooth wouldn't be loose right now. And he just didn't get it, you know? And I'm looking at, and I'm trying to deal with these kids, and I'm trying to make her be okay because I didn't want to get a note from the parents and all this other nonsense. And I'm just thinking, you know, that is so much like us and God some days. We're bouncing around seat to seat, doing what we want to do, and because, I, and because I do something, I hit myself in the head, and I say, God, you hurt me. And God's saying, I didn't hurt you. You hurt yourself because you weren't paying attention. How, how, how silly are we sometimes? We want to blame God for the things that are happening all around us. And some of the times, not every time, I'll tell you, not every time, but most of the time it's because we're not being alert and we're not being sober-minded. We're messing around thinking we can do it our own way, and we get hurt. And God's saying, I tried to tell you, the rules are right there in the book very clearly. Self-control is reading God's word and then applying it in our lives so that it teaches us what we should and should not do in order to protect ourselves from ourselves. When God says no in his word, he's not saying, no, I don't want you to have fun. What he's saying is, no, I don't want you to hurt yourself. I tried to tell that to Daxon. I said, you know, and, he, he, and what's even worse, he's the last kid on the bus. <laughs> 45 minutes of him every day. But I love Daxton. We really do have a good relationship. He is one of my best little buddies, and he can be my worst enemy. But we have that love-hate relationship going all the time. It's just really fun. It's just really interesting. But if I could just tell Daxton, Daxton, sit with self-control. Enjoy the ride. Trust me, you'll get home and you'll be much better off. If we could get that. You see, and that's the difference between self-control and self-righteousness. We're not to be self-righteous. We're to be self-controlled. Big difference. The difference is, is that when I'm self-righteous, it means I can do the things I want to do and justify them in my own mind. <laughs> You know, the biggest kids in the bus that tattletale on the other kids are the ones that are doing it the worst themselves. I have, Daxton will be the first one to tell me somebody else is bouncing around in their seat. <laughs> Daxton, who are you to tell me that? You know what I mean? It's, it's like he will justify all of the reasons why he can do it, but nobody else can. That's called self-righteousness. He lives right across the street from you guys, by the way, just so you know. I love Daxton. I really do love the little guy. 
But the difference between being self-controlled is that I am taking, I'm taking captive the thoughts. I'm knowing who I am in Christ, and I'm, contr- and I'm taking that issue more than I'm taking the self-righteousness that says I can justify things in my heart. I'm not justifying anything. You see, when I know I'm self-controlled, sober-minded, and alert, it gives me the ability to know who I am in Christ. Who, I, who are you in Christ? Who am I? I'm a redeemed man. I am a child of the Most High God. I am forgiven, and I am set free from my bondages of the past. I, I am not, I'm not held bondage by my past hurts or my past failures. I am connected to the source of all goodness and all grace and mercy. I am welcome to come into the throne room of God at all times for any situation because of who I am in Christ. And when I can start to see myself that way, it allows me to live a much more self-controlled and alert life because I see myself in Christ Jesus for who Christ sees me as. Amen. Then Peter goes on in verses 8 through 10, and he says, Now that you have a relationship with God right, what should your relationship with people be like? He says, Above all, Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Remember, Peter's theme here is all about living for Christ in the face of suffering. That's all this Bible, this this book is about, is loving God and loving people even in the midst of severe persecution. So when I can get my heart with God right, now I can have my heart with people right but it's got to be that order first. I have to have my relationship with Jesus established. I need to know who my identity is in Christ. And when I know that, I can love people, and I can then have a whole different impact on people. Remember who we are. We're the little stones. We're the living stones cut out of the rock of Jesus. He's all about love, and he's all about forgiveness, and that's therefore what we're supposed to be out of the same things. Jackie, if you'd come... As we conclude, this takes us to verse 11. Verse 11 says, If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, this is so, so amazing. That when I know who I am in Christ, when I know who my identity is, I speak differently. I serve differently. I act differently. I love people differently. I pray differently because I'm speaking, I'm acting, I'm living with the very nature of God. I'm living because I have an identity of Christ in my life, that I am doing so as one who speaks the very words of God and is doing the very deeds of God, and I'm doing the very things that God would do as a way to bring Him glory, as a way to bring Him honor and praise. Not to glorify me, not to glorify myself, not to glorify this church, but to glorify Jesus. There's a whole new era of excellence and of power that's about it when I have a true revelation knowledge of who I am, who truly I am. I am a true believer of Jesus Christ. He is all about me. I am all about him. Therefore, I act like God. I'm not a God, 
but I act like him. I act the way Jesus would act. I do the things that Jesus would do because I'm cut out of the same rock, because I'm part of his identity now. He is my identity. We've changed identities. So this morning, I'm not sure where you're at, but this is not a self-help message. This is a a self-realization message of who we need to be. Maybe right now, maybe you don't feel like you're part of that rock. Well, you can be. And I want to encourage you this morning to press in, to ask, to repent, to break your heart before the Lord, to humble yourselves before the Lord. Put away the self-righteousness. Pick up the self-control. Pick pick up the brokenness. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I know that the the word of God is very bold sometimes in what it says. And it says some things that maybe in our own self, it brings us strife. It brings us concerns fears that I can't live up that way I can't do that well I just want to know I I want Father to know that you are loving us in through our own fears you are loving us in through our own insecurities because it's not about what we can do it's about us trusting you to be who you want to be in us so Father I pray that we would just come to you with brokenness in our hearts right now pride would be broken self-realization would be stripped away I'm just a man I'm just a woman that needs Jesus and I need my identity to be redefined as to be a son or a daughter of the most high and I do that by asking you to forgive me so this morning if you need to ask the Lord to forgive you of some things now is the time to do that practice on a regular basis coming before the Lord and repenting of sin of failure recognizing who you are in Christ letting him build you up so that you can glorify him Amen. thank you Jesus Lord as we just take this time to let these words settle in a bit worship you, Jesus. We praise your name. Lord, we reflect upon your goodness. Holy Spirit, you're free to work in our lives today. You're free to bring conviction where it needs to be. You're free to give us comfort where it needs to be. You're free to give us realization of who we are in Christ. We just welcome you. We surrender. We submit. We praise your name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's sing the song Jackie's playing.
Father, we thank you for this day today. Lord, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for your clear direction to us today. And Lord, I pray that we would learn and and, and understand and apply these things today to make our life different this week. Lord, that we would clearly see the end of all things is near and that we want to worship you and we are excited and we have anticipation of the joy that's set before us because we know what's coming. We're not fearful. We have nothing to fear in this life but we have all things to gain as we recognize our identity in Christ and how powerful we are because we stand in the midst of the Most High and we give you praise, we give you glory. Go with us throughout this day, throughout this week and bring us victory after victory, we ask. We glorify your name in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.